Chapter 12 Uncovering Nature's Pharmacy How Ross Young's is tapping into the power of ocean microbiome small molecules. The world's oceans cover more than 70% of the planet's surface and are home to an incredibly diverse array of microorganisms. These microorganisms produce a vast array of small molecules, many of which have the potential to be used in medicine, agriculture, and industry. For example, some of the ocean microorganisms produce compounds that have antibiotic properties while others produce pigments that can be used in cosmetics. While the potential of ocean microbiome small molecules is enormous, tapping into this potential is not without its challenges. One of the biggest challenges is simply finding these right molecules. With so many microorganisms producing so many different small molecules, it can be difficult to know where to start. Ross Youngs, the founder and CEO of Biosortia, is tapping into this potential by exploring the ocean's microbiome and uncovering the power of its small molecules. Ross has developed sophisticated screening techniques that allows them to identify promising molecules more quickly and efficiently. In this chapter, we'll take a closer look at Young's work and explore how he's unlocking nature's pharmacy. Hi Ross. Hello, such a pleasure. Pleasure is mine. For today's Microbiome Mavericks, Ross is my guest. He's the CEO, the founder of Biosortia. Ross has spent over 30 years inventing products, technologies, and processes for a variety of industries and holds over 75 patents worldwide He's driven to innovate by a focus on what's better, faster, and less expensive. Ross's recent major innovations include R&D 100 Award for Collaboration on Biopolymer Technologies. In 1998, Ross was awarded the Ernest and Young Ohio Entrepreneur of the Year. Additionally, the U.S. Small Business Administration honored him as their National Business Person of the Year. In 2009, Biosorte was awarded a $6 million grant by the U.S. Department of Energy for its algal harvesting technology, which helped lead to the development of Biosorte's drug discovery platform. I'm really pleased to have you, Ross, on the Microbiome Mavericks. Well, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here and be amongst the peers that you're interviewing. Uh, I feel very privileged. Thank you. Thank you. Would you mind to add a little bit to this? Because I think I probably under, uh, you know, represent you by, by this. And I know you're a multidisciplinary person, not just microbiome. Please add a little bit to this. No problem. Um, I, I think my entire existence has brought me to this point. Environmental science background, industrial engineering, industrial scale processing technologies involved in a number of different industries and technologies. And I think that it's allowed me to take pieces of these important, critical opportunities, put them together into what we are doing now in the microbiome space, which I know from your own research shows we're the only ones in the world doing this. Uh, and we were the only ones that conceived this. I, I like to describe it as Nobody has ever taught what we're doing, and nobody has ever practiced what we're doing. And I think my background has allowed me to see things others have not. But I got to admit, 
technologies themselves have advanced dramatically in 70 years. And unless you have a snapshot of the whole picture of the evolution of technologies, it's hard to step back and look at what could be the best practices moving forward. So I'm privileged to have, let's say, that ability to look at everything that has existed, snap it together into a vision of the future. I remember when I was at school doing my, my bachelor's degree, and a lot of people ask you, yeah, we study mathematics and uh, physics. Why do I need to study that when I'm going to, I don't know, do medicines or, or something else, right? Science is somehow very much combined, and you cannot just have one piece of it and say, okay, I have it all. Obviously, sometimes you need to be specific and specialize into some domains, have something innovative. Sometimes you need to be also be generalistic. And I also sometimes say to my team and the, the people I work with, I think in, in career, you would start usually as a generalistic when you start doing anything. You will start very general, right? And when you go into, into your career, you become a little bit more specialized into something. So you become an expert. You know what? I think I look at the difference between specialist and generalist mm-hmm. and respect both sides of that equation. Mm-hmm. It is critically important to bring the right kind of, let's say, sciences and technologies to a certain type of problem, just like it's critically important to bring the right kind of knowledge and depth into a specialist issue. Mm -hmm. They can't cross over easier. Mm -hmm. But what's amazing is a Harvard Business Review study showed that when you talk about breakthrough innovation, 50% of it comes from specialists. 50% of it comes from Mm generalists. And we would say, how in the world is that even possible? And I think that understanding that I am truly a generalist I have been able to see things and put them together. I don't have to dig into the specialization. I can use the specialist. I can learn from the specialist. And quite frankly, the kinds of problems that a specialist has to dig into, normally I'll be no help whatsoever. So what it really boils down to is the question about should a specialist be digging into the area so deeply, and can that be justified? And I think that's where the generalist can interact and understand in a way where specialists know that if they've spent their career studying this, there's validity in it. Mm -hmm. And if there isn't validity in it, why are they there? So it becomes a dynamic challenge in how to get the best utilization out of specialists and generalists simultaneously. And it's all about cross-functionality. And sometimes that cross-functionality at the depth of a technological problem won't be of any help whatsoever. So you have to go higher into the order. So you move to where the generalist or cross-functionality will have merit. Amazing, really amazing. I know you guys are based in Ohio, right? So you mentioned this really, um, the interplay between generalist and specialist. Biosorte is, is just creating something completely new, right? It's something that you cannot just sit down and say, okay, yeah, that's easy. I'm going to do it. How did you come to this idea in creating Biosorte and its approach into this large-scale mining of microbes? That is a great question. And it really boils down to how the technology 
at getting at microbes, at getting at their metabolites, and the opportunity to uncover what would be products across all of life sciences, but therapeutics, agrochemicals. And when you go back through history and you start to map what occurred, it was linear progression based on technology at a point of time. So the problem is a specialist at a point of time becomes a specialist. And then there's an evolution from that specialization. Nobody ever goes back and looks at the entirety of the problem. So how do you name a correct problem if experts today don't recognize the problem from six or seven decades ago? So I'll give you an exact example. Back in the 50s and 60s, People used culturing of microbes to get at their molecules. That approach worked brilliantly. That approach throughout the history of microbiology, drug discovery, agrochemical discovery, has shown that more than 50% of the products on the shelf today, directly, indirectly, or inspirationally, came from culturing of microbes. So what is the big problem? Well, the big problem, the vast majority of microbes will not grow in culture or scale up. Now, if that is the problem and you leap forward to what's being done today, you can't even draw a line to it. It's so hard to draw that line. So what is being done today? Today, we are using genomics to understand microbes, to try to understand the biosynthetic pathways, to try to understand the gene clusters, to try to figure out with what is a complex and infinite data set what actual molecules are being made. We'll go back to the problem itself, and it wasn't about that at all. And the evolution from the problem's origin to where we are today is convoluted because they had to try technologies that failed. And the technologies they tried was let's use a super chemistry kit to make up nature's molecules, combinatorial chemistry, 40 years, billions of dollars annually. It led to one drug on the shelf. That was the problem is the next, what would have been at the time logical evolution of the technology didn't work. So now they had to come up with another evolutionary approach, and that was genomics, synthetic biology. And quite frankly, it is not delivering the secrets of microbes or microbiomes in any way meaningful. That's the challenge. So go back to the original problem. The problem is you can't get microbes from the natural environment that are unculturable at a scale and a quantity to study them to obtain their small molecules. Now, if that was a problem that was named today and researchers around the world put the efforts on saying, let's go get the microbes where they lie, they would quickly realize that the human microbiome, which is the highest interest there 
can't be obtained in the kind of quantities to study the actual molecules. But the beauty is technology, all this combination of technology has shown us the overlap to environmental microbiomes and the human microbiome is so substantial that we can uncover massive amounts of secrets of the human by using the surrogate of the environmental microbiome. So now you have to figure out how to get it, how to get it at the quantity and at the quality, and how to find the relevance and how to connect the dots. And that's exactly what we focused on over the last 10 plus years, which is going and getting microbiomes from natural environment that overlap to the human microbiomes, including the genes, the metabolic pathways, and the chemistry. And right now, our knowledge of the human microbiome's small molecules is minimal. We know of 144 of those small molecules that reside in a human from a human microbiome, yet there are tens of thousands, potentially 100,000 plus. Out of those 144 molecules, there are targets that are addressable as therapeutics. There are markers that identify meaningful understanding of the health of the being. And then there is actual drugs. Imagine if we can uncover double that or 10 times that, or what we suggest is easily possible, a hundred times that. We believe that the revolution in understanding and connecting the dots between the actual molecules that reside in biology signaling and the health, the welfare, the opportunity to create a massive amount of product surge, pipeline building across the entire of life sciences is now at our doorstep. And the vision is execution of this technology within 10 years will lead to more new pipeline products than all other existing technologies combined. And more importantly, or at least as important, is it will connect the dots from what I like to describe as the firewall between the genomics work and the actual molecules and what these molecules do in a human. Right now, that firewall is nearly impenetrable. There are people working on penetrating it, and you can find libraries of 1.2 trillion biologically created molecules through genes that are available. But how many of those are actually part of the signaling of single cells? Very few of it. That's why it's so important to get to the actual small molecules of life. And we've proven this can be done. Now it needs to be executed at scale in order to deliver to humanity the opportunity that is in our hand. Really amazing. I just think about sometimes science a little bit biased because there is some accumulation of studies and innovations, interventions as well. You would find a lot of papers speaking about butyric acid in the gut. And yeah, that's obviously the molecule that everybody's trying to study and see the effects. But the microbiome itself or the human body or the organs are so complex 
So it cannot just be addressed with one molecule. And I found sometimes that there is disrespect to the actual human being and organs. Just one molecule in its all solved. While, as you mentioned, nature, you go to the ocean, you, molecules are just, I don't know, trillions of them, as you've mentioned, that we have to manage to, to see what? 142 you've mentioned? <laughs> 144 on a human. But let me, let me point one thing potentially out. The genomics and the combinations of the data itself that relates to the DNA of organisms is so complex, it's virtually infinite. But what nature has created and accepted through potentially as much as 4.2 billion years of evolution on Earth with what happens to be the most prolific chemical testing mechanism that's ever existed, life cycles of 15 minutes, mutation rates at the highest, microbes dominate this entire planet from its history to even today, it's made up the chemistry of life's signaling and it's retained it and it works and it's omnipresent. It is conserved by evolutionary factors. And that's why an organism that exists here has some of the same chemistry as any other organism on the planet. So the molecules, the small molecules that exist in life today is the least common denominator. It is the smallest number. So no matter what the other numbers are, there's a finite set today, snap a chalk line today, there is a finite set of small molecules that exist for cellular signaling in biology. That should be the focus, but that has been perceived as the hardest thing to obtain. Totally agree. So if we take now our listeners and let's say they're just transported into Ohio and into Biosortia, and we want to give them a snapshot of how the process of Biosortia works from mining hundreds of thousands of cubic liters from water to getting these molecules, just a little bit of a snapshot how the process actually works to get a molecule that potentially will help people's lives or consumers as well. Right. And, and I think it's got to start with the logic around scale. So if you're looking at something that exists in nature in nanomolar, picomolar concentrations, let's say in a part per trillion, analytical equipment today can't even read that if it's known. At a single part per trillion, it's invisible. And we can understand that. At some point, things become invisible. We can use the Hubble telescope as an example. Until we had the Hubble telescope, there were things in this universe we couldn't see. And now with the James Webb telescope, we know there's things in this universe the Hubble telescope couldn't see. So the reality scale is important. And if you're looking at a part per trillion, you can't even find a known molecule. You certainly aren't going to be able to identify an unknown molecule. So work back from the math and understand what can be seen using analytical equipment, and then work further back to what could be discovered if you had enough of that molecule. So at a lab benchtop, a 100 milliliter sample is a big sample for a lab benchtop. Is that going to help you uncover a part per trillion? Not a chance. So what scale would require it? 
Well, we've identified we need 200 million times that quantity. Now, our technology could ultimately scale to 2 billion, to potentially 20 billion times that starting quantity. You start to elevate these small molecules through a opportunity to start with enough. Once you start with enough, you have got to process it. You have got so much material there that's meaningless. The water, the proteins, quite frankly, the fats and the lipids. If you're trying to get at the small molecules, it's the least component that's there. So you have to go through the processing systems of removing the water, retaining the biomass. Then you have to go through the extraction systems of removing the proteins and the lipids from the small molecules. Then you have to go through the process of sorting and organizing and recovering those small molecules and putting them in formats so that researchers can get to them. And more importantly, you've got to be able to do pre-processing to essentially prioritize and curate those molecules, understand those molecules at the earliest steps analytically, and with new technologies, even potentially early structural identification or computational structural identification. So using machine learning, AI, using the technologies that we have today, getting from what is a very little amount of something to something meaningful is something we've not really done at scale in life sciences. So why do we use the word mining? Because quite frankly, we're environmentally friendly. I got to say that right up front. What we do is completely environmentally friendly. But there is the reality that we've done this kind of thing at scale day in and day out for thousands of years. And that's to get at something valuable and take it out of something where there's a lot of other things. Gold mining is the perfect example. They don't use any of the old technologies. They go around assay quartz and granite. And if there's four grams of gold that can be extracted from a ton, that's economically viable today. I would propose to the entire life science world We're talking about potentially hundreds of billion dollar molecules that can be recovered from the hidden secret cellular signaling of life. Believe me, it's mine worthy. It is fascinating because what you've mentioned here is the scale. So two things. The biggest challenge of biotech startups or startups in general, where you speak to investors, one of the questions I ask you What's your scale-up strategy, right? So if your business can't be scaled, you don't have a business. But you cracked that from the beginning. You are operating at scale, but that also gives you some challenge to generate that much of data because you need to collaborate with so many institutions. They cannot keep up with you at some point, right? So you have a wealth of data there. Yeah, and that's, that's the amazing part is typically what people will do is not look at the opportunity not look at the vision, they'll collapse back down to what they know and they'll say, how in the world can you do this today with the enormity of its effort? 
Well, ex- excuse me. We put men on the moon once and we're getting ready to do it again. You know, this is simple compared to things that humans have accomplished in the past. And the technologies are advancing so rapidly. The fact that we don't have these molecules available for research, it's malpractice. It's absolutely malpractice. People will say, but what about this? But what about this? But what about this? And the reality is people have been uncovering small molecules from microbes for over a hundred years. Technologies have advanced dramatically. It's time to put the right things in place to do the right things. And what we believe is there should be separation between what people do in the clinic and what they do at preclinical and what we do to bring the molecules to them. This should not be vertically integrated to where everyone in the world tries to do microbiome mining, then tries to advance a molecule, then tries to get it through the clinic and into the uh, uh, finished product. There are real good people out there everywhere that know what to do early stage molecules and in the clinic. Give the molecules to academia, give the molecules to pharma, agrochemical, give them to the people that know their business so you don't have to learn their business and focus dramatically on making the microbiome mining deliver the molecules they know nothing about so that we can advance science. That separation of responsibility is critical in any technological advance. We certainly didn't ask the people that were making the rockets to get to the moon to also fly the spaceship. That just doesn't make sense. So you can't do everything. You've got to sort and organize, and you've got to find the business model that justifies it at every scale. And I think we clearly have a viable business model at what we do and where our focus is. You know which website you need to visit next, biosortia.com. That's where the data are. You know, that's where you need to find your molecules to advance your research and science. Speaking about data, it's not new to mention ChatGPT and how take over the giant Google and from really short and how AI needs data at the first place, right? And you guys are generating data. So would you be able to explain how are you advancing data mining in microbiome to fuel biopharmaceutical and to fuel consumer health? And I've even seen that you also fueling cosmetic industry and how that will help save lives and as well improve consumers' lives in a sense. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about uh, machine learning AI. And I've got to say, some people don't get how important the right data is. They believe that even if they have wrong data, they can come up with the solutions if the databases are large enough. So I'll challenge anybody, go pick anybody's body of work. Let's pick Charles Schultz and the work that he wrote for children. 
are you going to be able to find out of that anything useful in life sciences? If you start with the wrong data, you're going to end up with wrong. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we have right now is there is this belief we have the right molecules. We have the right data. And as long as pharma thought leaders believe that, they're going to be starting with the wrong data and they're not going to end up with things that work. If you start with everything that works, that will give you a much better opportunity to understand and get at what has been missed. So when you talk about the kind of data that we will be generating, we will be having a complete picture of a living, breathing microbiome in the activated metabolic pathways that create the actual chemistry. That's important because that firewall of bridging between the data and the molecules will start to be filled with data sets. And as that's filled with data sets, that will accelerate the computational opportunities. But if you fill those data sets with invalid data, you're going to end up crossing that firewall with invalid molecules. And if you think you can just randomly create small molecules that are going to work in nature, they tried that with combinatorial. And I think if all they would have done is ask a mathematician, what are the odds? Well, small molecules under 500 molecular weight have been described as being near infinite. Now, what does that really mean? It means all the combinations of the elements that work in nature, all the orientations, all the charges, all the structure dynamics are so variable that it's virtually an infinite data set. In fact, it has been described as the small molecules that could exist under 500 molecular weight, which are the drug-like small molecules that work in biology very well, cross the blood-brain barrier, end up penetrating cell walls, and even slice and dice DNA. Those molecules could actually have more combinations than all of the atoms in the universe. Now, Think about that. That means that 1.2 trillion molecules that exist from a vendor in Asia, what percent is that? Well, you've got to actually start with point, and then you've got to put more than 100 plus zeros, and then a number, and then you can call it that percentage. The odds of us stumbling upon things is ridiculously infinite. And if a mathematician would have been asked that at the start of combinatorial chemistry, it would have never happened. And if they'd asked that at the start of, quite frankly, synthetic biology, there is opportunities there. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of validity to synthetic chemistry and, and quite frankly, using the tools that have been developed. But if you're randomly trying to figure out one of life's molecules that are meaningful, you're going to have to make such an enormous amount of them to stumble upon things. And all we're saying is the molecules are there. 
the real molecules are there. And it's an infinite set. I mean, it's a it's a finite set of real molecules. It may not even be above 10 billion. It may actually not even be above 1 million. We don't know because we don't have that much access to these molecules. There's only 25,000 small molecules from microbes between 200 and 500 molecular weight that are well annotated today. But you recover one microbiome and you will have an industrial scale. You will have more than 100,000 small molecules in your hand that are addressable. That's four times the known amount in one event. Amazing. I remember from my previous career, I was working in an AI company, uh, which basically used AI as well as wet lab to address certain, certain issues. And I remember at some point, we realized that if we don't get a, a data creation team, there is no way we could advance. Simply because the data on the databases, you could just not trust them. I was listening last time in a conference, somebody looking into gut microbiome and used a specific database. And guess what? That is one of most predominant bacteria. They couldn't see it in their samples. There is no way that bacteria couldn't be there. The question was, that person used the wrong database. The database was not created. Getting the right data set for a machine learning is just crucial. And it is good that you guys are cracking that. And obviously operating such an innovative company like Biosortia, it must be different than normal companies in this standard way of working. How do you guys operate in Biosortia? How is the team communication? How is the scientific communication? Even how do you speak to outside investors and so on to see the first breakthrough coming from your pipeline with opportunities and collaborations with with pharma and cosmetic companies and 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 consumer as well. No, I I appreciate that question for a couple of reasons. Uh, obviously, in the past, we did get uh, ARPA-E, we got uh, DARPA, we got U.S. Air Force Research Lab. Recently, we just got NIH, working with the University of Rhode Island, and we're working with uh, Los Alamos National Lab, and we've got some internal uh, funding from them. But when you do something that's a disruption, it's hard to get support. Um, especially from the entrenched. So when nobody's been taught to do what we do and nobody out there is raising money to do this but us, and you've got every scientist in the world asking for money because they've got an approach in their their specialty area. And that dynamic has created, believe it or not, no funding for biosortia. So we've funded it and kept it moving forward basically on a dime, meaning some angel investors have supported us, I've supported us, and it's been a challenge because back in 2002, there was a big dynamic shift in funding for life science technologies. And that big funding shift revolved around pharma saying, we can't do research, let's only buy de-risk assets. So pharma is waiting for a molecule. They don't work on platforms. They say, bring me a molecule. 
guess what's happening? Funding sources are trying to find that molecule. So, so VCs, family offices, they're trying to find that molecule right before pharma wants it. So they've really focused on the single opportunity, uh, product pipeline opportunity of the biotech world that exists in academia and in biotechnology. And it's hard, as much as many of them say they want to break the mold, they want to change the world. They want a new dynamic of discovery to occur. They're still driven to find that de-risk asset. For us, we couldn't focus on a de-risk asset because the failure rate's too high. It's about a one in 29 success rate. And you will spend millions and millions to get to the point to where you validate. We basically said, we'll do it on the platform. We'll work with academia. We'll work with pharma. We'll work with biotech. We'll work with agrochemical, cosmetic, on and on. We'll bring them the molecules they need. We'll risk share it. Now, with that, that means we've changed that 1 in 29 dynamic to hopefully 400 in 29. And after we do start executing at scale, our pipeline of opportunity should grow. Our pipeline, as time moves through, will actually become de-risked. And we'll have the opportunity as an organization to actually sign up a direct supporter or partner who says, we want you to find 10 assets for us in immunomodulation or neuro-CNS. And they'll pay us up front and we'll work to uncover those assets for that organization. But right now, we've got a business model that's completely different. We have got a dynamic of discovery that's completely different. Therefore, it's very difficult to find funding. Now, I believe that puts us hopefully in the crosshairs of new funding that Congress put together in the U.S. to support breakthrough technologies. Because this is a breakthrough technology, and we're not going to really know exactly how well this goes, how well and how fast it advances, until we have the resources to execute. We know exactly what we want to do. We know exactly what we need. We're ready to go. But without the funding support, we sit here on pause. We did prove everything at what we would describe as subscale, meaning we found molecules that were therapeutically relevant for pharma companies, for research companies, for academia. But we chose not to specifically focus on advancing one of those because the risk was higher than running the whole platform. I think the goal of from, of literally from this uh, microbiome Mavericks audiobook is really as well to give a platform to companies such yourself and to also show that this is what's happening. This is real and this is breakthrough. I mean, everybody probably never heard about OpenAI before it actually go viral. And now how much is valued this company? Billions of trillions probably of dollars simply because they had the right data and they went. Obviously, if somebody had invested in OpenAI in the first place, they've probably been very happy now. So if you want to be happy in the future in biopharmaceutical discovery and therapeutics, you know what to go, right? That is so kind. And, you know, the <laughs> one thing is, um, I think I looked at my career 
And I'm certainly getting toward the end of it, but I, I, I'm sure I have 20 years yet of, uh, I hope of, so. uh, of, of a lot of fun because you had to say at a point in my career, I'm not curing cancer when I was working in the plastics business. So I would work with people in my field and, and, and I love passion. I love, you know, appropriate go get them. But sometimes I had to say to a staff member, hey, hey, settle down. <laughs> it's not like we're curing cancer. We're making a plastic part for an industry. So today, I can actually say what we're working on is going to impact the world forever. This is exciting to be a part of. I need other visionaries. I need people to get the vision. And it's hard to get to people that are visionaries. It's easy to get to people that are specialists with a focus. And it's hard to get to people that can really understand where this could go. So your opportunity to bring this to light is phenomenal. I really appreciate everything you've done. Thank you. Thank you, Ross. You really ended up well and taking me to the last five questions that I'd like to ask to all the microbiome mavericks. And I think you, you started by answering the first question. Why do you do what you do? It's a mission, right? It's you, I it's, feel like it's, it's from your heart. It, it is absolutely from my heart. It's a mission. I've been able to see how important this is to breaking through the barrier that exists. And it's existed for decades and it existed in culturing, it existed in combinatoria, and it exists in genomic opportunities, synthetic biology. Let's break down the barrier that connects all the dots and truly creates the opportunity. Amazing. What are two productivity tips you could give to empower some of our listeners? Well, I think, I think you've got to remain focused. It would be easy for people to look at me and say, you're a generalist and you're not focused. You've got companies that make plastic products. You've got this and that. I am highly focused on moving Biosortia forward. It is absolutely dominating my life. And I'm not, there are no regrets about it. Whether I succeed in moving this forward or whether it pauses for 30 years before people pick it up and go, this was something important we should have done. This effort to move it forward is critical to me, and I'm driven to make sure it happens. Um, I hope, and I think I see this, I think other peoples have bought into that vision. Mm -hmm. They're supporters. They're following what we're doing. They're hoping for us. So I think it's build a community. If you can build a community around what you believe, especially if it's a big vision. Now, even if it's a smaller mission, build a community, get your supporters. You hear things from people that can't come from inside your own brain. So I think the first and foremost thing, build that community, listen to it, interact with it, educate yourself every day you're in existence. Because if you think you know everything, you're already in a position of failure. You have got to be open-minded. You have got to be able to connect the dots. Such a great advice. Such a great advice. Do you have a book that you would like to uh, recommend to someone or offer to someone? 
Yeah, my problem is I have a bunch of books like that. <laughs> yes, I see that. A lot of more business books, but you, I think I think if a paper would qualify, I I think the paper that I first looked at that really helped me understand the potential uh, was written by uh, David Newman and Gordon Craig, who've been writing this paper for decades. And they keep updating it. And it's natural products as sources of drugs over nearly four decades. So in this world today, so many people have moved away from what nature does. That is not something people do today. But yet this demonstrates the value and the repeated value of what nature does. And the more we understand what nature does to the small molecules and cellular signaling, the more power humanity will have. We're not going to get it from ones and O's without understanding what nature is actually doing. So the dots have to be connected. And I like that paper because it demonstrates the value of nature. Nice one. Thank you. I will definitely read that one. Uh, can you tell us now about someone that inspires you? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go pick on David uh, J. Newman again. Yeah. He's got over 50,000 citations in Google Scholar. He is eight years retired from the NIH, and he still is involved. He's just one of the people out there that have fought their entire career for helping people to understand natural products are important, very, very important to life. Nice. And last question, uh, if you would help to change anything in the world, what would that be? If I had anything to teach, I believe industrial scale microbiome mining will ultimately, after we start executing, and within 10 years of the start of our execution and the build of a massive pipeline and massive valuation, I believe what will happen is there will be approaches taken in academia around the world to go, should we be mining the microbiome? And I think 10 years from now, we will be hard pressed to find major research universities not strategizing or implementing microbiome mining. So if anything, we hope to be teaching the world there's an opportunity. And this opportunity is going to forever impact the health, the longevity, the quality of human life and likely life on Earth. Because you're talking about the potential of getting the secrets to end red tide, to potentially stop harmful algae blooms that ruin economies and lives, to potentially reverse coral bleaching by understanding the hidden secret molecules, to do the remediation across the world, to accelerate carbon capture, to come up with the enzymes that work in the industrial processes better, more efficiently. To me, this is not just about therapeutics. It's about advancement of all the life sciences. And if we can teach people how to successfully industrial scale microbiome mine, we have got more value in life science products than we have in all mining combined potentially in the future. 
Thank you. Thank you, Ross. Really, it was amazing speaking to you. Thank you. It's, it's my honor to be involved. So thank you very much. Thanks, Ross. To know more about Ross Young's and Biosortia, please visit www.biosortia.com or follow Ross Young's on LinkedIn.